welcome you to the Department of Defense Bloggers Roundtable for Thursday, February 24, 2011. My name is Brittany Brown from the Office of the Chief of Public Affairs, and I'll be moderating our call today. As a quick note to our bloggers on the line today, please remember to clearly state your name and your blog or organization in advance of your question. Out of respect for our guest's time, please keep your questions succinct and to the point, and I'll make sure we get to everyone in the line in times for questions. Today, our guest is Lieutenant General Michael Vane of the Army Capabilities Integration Center. General Vane is on hand to discuss developments in how the Army is evaluating smartphone technologies in addition to the Army's efforts to make small tactical units more decisive. At this time, I'm going to hand it over to General Vane for a brief opening statement. Well, good morning, everybody, and thanks for being here. Um, as Brittany said, um, General Vane, and I'm uh, the director of ARCIC, which is an organization responsible for helping the Army think about the future. Uh, responsible to senior leadership of the Army, the Chief of Staff, and the Secretary about uh, making recommendations on what those capabilities should be. And one of the things that we've been uh, visibly at work at over the last two years, in addition to reforming our requirements process and already have uh, made significant changes to it, uh, we've been looking at the uh, strategic context within which we operate and which we think we're going to operate uh, around the 2020 time period. So the program objective memorandum that's being built by the, the Defense Department and as a part of the government's PBBS process is building the Army of 2020 in the next four years. And so what will that context be? What will that strategic context be? No one can predict the future, um, but we can uh, look at what's happened in history and conduct war games, take lessons learned from the field, and at least establish a framework for uh, the kinds of capabilities we think we might need in the future. So we've, we've seen over 192 countries uh, that are in the world today that at least 90 of them have, have potential for failure and this this consequence for the inability of the nation state to provide for the people is exploding as you've seen in the Middle East today. Um, we've seen over uh, 50 ethnic wars in the past 10 years alone and we've seen two major theater uh, types of conflicts, 170 border activities uh, over the course of the last 10 years as well, none of which which were predicted um, on the 10th of September 2001. And so as these patterns have made clear, um, our forces uh, still contain significant overmatch, our military forces writ large, uh, in the air and sea domains, and arguably on the land for high-end operations, uh, we still retain uh, a, a fairly good advantage. In these environments of irregular warfare, counterinsurgency, and stability operations, uh, we've seen it takes us still quite some time to get the kind of advantage we'd like to have and with the whole of government help bring security uh, to areas that the National Command Authority has, has, has brought us to. And since people still live on land and most of these uh, insecure situations exist, on the land, some are on sea, as we've seen by uh, the pirate piracy in the in the, off the coast of East Africa. Um, the land is where we, we see uh, these potential uh, adversaries still trying to achieve some um, advantage, some niche capability against what uh, our capability or that of our allies is trying to bring to bear. And increasingly, we've seen, uh, of course, the enemy in and among the population. You can't distinguish 
uh, friend from foe very easily through uniforms or the more traditional methods. And the small unit becomes really the coin of the realm. And the small unit has always been something important to land operations, both the Marines and the Army. But increasingly, um, getting that small unit, the kind of capabilities it needs to bring uh, security uh, to kill or capture when required, uh, to influence uh, populations in order to create the perception of s security is the kind of capabilities we need to bring to our small units. Protectant, protection, lethality, networked, uh, on the move. And so that's what we've been pursuing, and I look forward to your questions. Great. Thank you so much for your opening remarks, General Vane. Do we have someone join us late on the line? If so, uh, please state your name and blog affiliation before we start fielding questions. Okay. If not, we'll uh, start with our questions now. First up, we'll ask uh, Mr. Dell Kissinger from Military Avenue. Do you have a question for General Vane? Uh, good morning, sir. Dale Kissinger, MilitaryAvenue.com. Thank you for taking your time this morning. My question is, what is the single big, biggest challenge that the Army faces when trying to adapt to new commercial technology such as smartphones? Well, I think there's probably two that are worthy of mention, uh, Dale. Thanks for the question. Um, there's a cultural challenge uh, for those that are what we would say are not digital natives, you know, the digital tourists or whatever kind of other label you want to put on people that perhaps didn't grow up with um, a smartphone, a computer, uh, a cell phone, um, as we've been trying to do with connecting soldiers to digital applications, the idea that the Army's in your pocket. People that haven't grown up with that have a, a cultural challenge with uh, the use of uh, these uh, uh, technologies. And, you know, the the, the ability to pick one of these things up and operate them very quickly, look at a smaller screen, use a different sort of keypad, all those kind of things uh, uh, in the comfort of their desk. So there's a cultural uh, challenge that's, that's part of uh, uh, the issue for the more senior people who, of course, make the uh, uh, monetary decision-making. The second one um, is that of information assurance. And it's a both a technology problem and a discipline problem, um, or challenge for us on the on the network. Okay, Dale, do you have a follow up question? Uh, no, thank you very uh, very much, General. Thank you. Okay. Hey, Dale. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, next, we'll ask Rachel Eisenhower of Signal Magazine. Do you have a question for General Vane? Uh, yes, I do. Thanks so much for your time, Rachel Eisenhower from Signal Magazine. I'm wondering if you can touch a little bit on when it comes to smartphone technologies, you know, are these devices going, you know, that are going to be used in the field? Do you foresee trying to get soldiers devices that they can use for sort of more personal uses or because I know there's been some app development for things that people can integrate into their personal lives and then there's also talk of app development for things that would actually be used on the battlefield. Do you know kind of in which space you're focusing or is it going to be a combination of the two on one device? Um, well, thanks for the question, Rachel. And um, there's been some pretty good articles and coverage of the kinds of pilots we've been uh, initiating here inside of TRADOC. And the first step we took was to focus on the institution and on the delivery of training content uh, in accordance with the way the youth of today are learning. And they're learning in a, in a different way than the youth of 10, 15, 20 years ago. So we focused on the uh, training applications in, I think, seven of the pilots 
and one or two of the pilots we focused, we were thinking at the time that it would be the next phase. Um, they've both moved so rapidly in popularity that we are now almost equally focused on delivering training content and moving in the direction of the use of the uh, smartphones for operational purposes as well. Uh, and we've got a, uh, now a number of uh, uh, pilots not only inside a TRADOC at uh, our uh, uh, Brigade Modernization Command, the Army Evaluation Task Force at Fort Bliss, uh, but we now have uh, several theater commanders asking for these same capabilities to deploy with them in uh, combat. So we're equally focused on both, I guess is the way to describe it now. Rachel, do you have a follow-up question? Um, not at the moment, thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Next, we'll ask Mr. Spencer Ackerman of Wired.com if you have any questions for General Vane. Thanks very much. Um, how far away are you uh, from uh, recommending uh, to the, the Chief of Staff that all soldiers actually be equipped with a smartphone? Um, have you given any thought uh, to how you manage uh, some of the modernization challenges so that by the time the actual requirement comes down, the phones themselves aren't obsolete. Um, do you have a phone in mind, and do you have an operating system in mind? Okay, that's quite a few questions there, Spencer. Let me let me try to just uh, give you broadly what we're um, after. We're probably within the six, next six to eight months, we'll bring together the, the results of our assessments of these pilots, uh, both in the uh, training world and in the um, operational world, the first set of assessments. Whether or not we recommend that all soldiers carry a smartphone would be, uh, you know, uh, sort of out in front of the conclusions, although many people are already um, suggesting that that's, that's a possibility. Even I've said there, there's a long-term vision here that, that would say um, if we can figure out the smart, cost-beneficial way of doing this, um, this probably does make sense in the long run. We can see it already in the training environment, uh, not yet as clear in the operating environment. So the next six, eight months or so, we'll finish our cost-benefit uh, assessments and be able to provide recommendations up to the senior leadership. What we're trying to do, though, is not make it a single operating system or a single uh, phone hardware unique kind of capability. Um, IT is changing rapidly, as you well know. It continues to change rapidly. Moore's Law seems to be continuing unabated. And so as we generate... Uh, which we've already generated requirements called the Mission Command Essential Characteristics. Uh, we did that about six or eight months ago. So we already have a requirements document out there that, within which commercial off-the-shelf capabilities uh, can be purchased very rapidly. Um, and if we do this in an intelligent way, uh, looking at uh, those that uh, are deploying uh, on the operating force side as perhaps the meter for how many to buy and, and uh, when to insert the next uh, capability, whether it be a software um, or, uh, you know, again, creating this sort of uh, architectural backbone that allows for any kind of hardware to interface, uh, we think we can put this uh, on a, on a two-year cycle or so with what we call capability sets, uh, and we've already begun to lay those out for the department to uh, pursue the funding should the uh, results of the pilots become successful and should the uh, leadership make the decision to pursue this in a larger way. To 
follow up quickly. So does that mean that when that comes out, if, if those are your recommendations, soldiers can expect from the issuance of that requirement two years before they have to have their phone back? Well, that again will be part of the part of the recommendation. So whether it's two years or six months or uh, those will those will all be recommendations we will make to the Army then. Okay, thank you for your question, Spencer. Um, now we're going to ask if Dan from Stars and Stripes, if you have any questions for General Vane. I do. Thank you, um, General. So far in 2011, what is the current status of the basic training pilot program? Is there any decision been made yet on iPhones or other similar devices being issued to trainees? Okay. As I mentioned earlier, we've got eight pilots out there. We'll finish that assessment in the next six to eight months. Okay. Uh, is there any new apps that are going to be put out this uh, in 2011? Well, we got all kind of apps that are being written on a daily basis. I, I don't know what the number is, but it's uh, well over. Um, yeah, I, I don't have the number. It, it, it must. Pardon me. It's over 150. Broadly, looking at both the operating environment applications and the training applications. Uh, I would okay. uh, make one correction to. Uh, the gist of your question, these pilots are in AIT, not basic training. Oh, okay. Um, what about the Net Warrior system? Is there any movement on that being placed on some sort of e-reader or something like that in the near future? Uh, I, I don't know. If you'll have to ask a PM whether or not they've uh, got that going. Okay, thank you for your question, Dan. Uh, we're going to move on to Jeff Carpenter of Ringtail Design. Do you have a question for General Vane? Yes, thank you. Um, there are several uh, funded efforts with different government organizations to become the app store, if you will, um, for the DOD. Given some of the exercises and pilots uh, that you've carried out, do you have a vision or recommendation on how some of these applications will be distributed to soldiers? We're working very hard as a part of this pilot as well to ensure that the Army has a single app store. And G6CIO is uh, working that with uh, DISA guys uh, and ourselves. Right now, uh, the apps that we've developed in our pilots are not connected to the network, network writ large, um, but that is the direction we're trying to head in is um, using the, uh, uh, the Army and DOD system uh, for app stores. Thank you for your question, Jeff. Now we'll ask Mr. Bob Bruin of GovExec if you have any questions for uh, General Vane. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, good morning, Bob Bruin, Government Exec, next Gov. Uh, one, of, one of the essential things to use phones on the battlefield is base stations and towers. Uh, how are you going to solve that problem, and can you give us an update on what Mike McCarthy's doing with base stations and towers? Thank you. Um, well, as you know, uh, uh, or maybe you don't know, but over 70% of the countries worldwide today are already developing 3G networks and commercial infrastructure where the population, you know, density is is uh, significant. And, of course, we can map that, and you can go to any company and look at their mapping of the deployment of 3G and 4G networks, for that matter. Uh, so it's pretty significant. And you think about where we're going to operate in the future, um, most likely 
uh, course of action for operation, not the most dangerous necessarily, but the most likely one is operating in and around urban areas and littoral areas. Um, so why not take advantage of commercial infrastructure that already exists around the world? That's what part of the thinking is. Um, and we're demonstrating, of course, some of that within our pilots today using uh, infrastructure in the various locations where our pilots are. There will be uh, operations, however, in places where there isn't necessarily a robust commercial infrastructure. And so we've got several initiatives uh, uh, for portable infrastructure that can go with the unit. In fact, one of them is being uh, uh, looked at. Uh, it's been looked at already at, at Fort Huachuca and some tests and being looked at in Afghanistan as well uh, on both unclassified and classified networks. So there's a capability, of course, to bring your infrastructure with you uh, and establish the base stations necessary for the small units uh, to communicate uh, uh, as required, uh, even when they're at uh, distant locations, perhaps away from the population. And there will be, be uh, as we work our way through this mix of uh, smartphones and um, other uh, transport mechanisms necessary, perhaps for more classified uh, information that, or, or larger bandwidth, or whatever else, perhaps the smartphone isn't isn't immediately uh, capable of doing. Um, there will probably be some retention of uh, the more traditional radio systems as we go through the next six to eight years of uh, experimenting with uh, mobile ad hoc networking and and what its uh, constraints and limitations might be in the next few years, which we don't fully understand. Okay, and a follow-up to that, sir, could you tell us uh, what you're looking at to deploy uh, to Afghanistan and how soon, and are these uh, base stations, cows, whatever? Um, again, we, we haven't finished the evaluation of, of the uh, pilots yet. So once we finish the evaluation, the pilots will, will make uh, more concrete recommendations to the department. Uh, but we are replicating... Um, the Afghan mission network um, at Fort Bliss today so that we fully understand how the smartphone can interface with that network and we'll be prepared to do that very rapidly uh, once the uh, decisions are made. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Um, next we'll move on to Jarrett of Federal News Radio. Do you have a question for General Vane? Yeah, hi, good morning, General. You said in response to Bob's question there that you intend to use commercial networks where you deploy in some cases. Is, is there an information assurance problem there if you're operating on networks that uh, are possibly untrusted, maybe built or operated by a hostile regime? Yes. Information assurance is an issue. And uh, here at the, where we are uh, right now, we're down here in Florida at the Association of the United States Army Winter Symposium. And the Vice Chief of Staff of the Army made a very good presentation last night talking about exactly this issue. So you've, there's, a, there's a risk associated with uh, what level of information assurance you are able to achieve, which there are a number of solutions out there that have not yet worked their way through NSA that could solve the problem. They're very promising and look like they could solve the problem in a very short period of time. However, there, there is a risk decision associated with information assurance, and it has to do with timeliness of information, perishability of the data, and, you know, one of the most significant 
feedbacks you get from soldiers in theater is they look at their Afghan army uh, compatriot or their Taliban guy who has a cell phone, and then the army guy looks at his embitter or his 117G radio, and we want to deny that capability to our own soldiers even though the enemy is using them. And we operate quickly enough with just that kind of data that's perishable and not classified and reduce the risk is what we're experimenting with in these pilots. Uh, and we think that, that that may be a risk worth taking uh, for uh, perishable battlefield data. Next, we'll ask Christian of Military.com. Do you have a question for uh, General Vane this morning? Yes, thanks, General Vane. You know, this this conversation is interesting because it was a couple of weeks ago that, that uh, uh, some of us journalists sat down with the folks from PEO Soldier, and they are uh, continuing to develop and test a system called Net Warrior. And yeah. when we sort of bandy this subject about, uh, it, it comes down to the conclusion that a lot of what Net Warrior is trying to do can be done on a smartphone, something that is much more familiar to soldiers, that is commercially available now. All of the advantages that you seem to see in uh, developing both tactical and training apps and, and, and other functionality for smartphones the the army seems to be spending you know millions of dollars on over tens of years to develop this thing called net warrior and i'm wondering if you're a coordinating or b see yourself as almost competing with that program and and how you know one might take advantage or or, or prove an advantage from the other yep uh, good question full recognition of the challenge um the uh, whole purpose of uh, establishing the Brigade Modernization Command and the Army Evaluation Task Force at Fort Bliss and the recommendations coming out of Task Force 120 that uh, the Army's been working on very hard over the course of the past year has been to get exactly at that problem. So we've got, you know, systems that have been in, you know, the Net Warrior, for example, has been around for five or six years and, and its requirements were written uh, several years ago. We've got other radio systems as well, the Rifleman's Radio and, and certain variants of uh, uh, JTRS uh, linked to WinT. I mean, uh, the connecting soldiers to digital applications, the smartphone challenges uh, a lot of the traditional uh, radio programs. And so again, what we've done is we've, we've written a requirements document that uh, tries to bring together all those previous requirements and lays out by echelon what the leader's needs are, the commander's critical information requirements. And now as we look at the evaluation of these pilots, other programs of record, putting all into place at the AETF at Fort Bliss, uh, what's coming out is a set of capability set recommendations for two-year increments of time. Uh, there's already been an 11 and 12 one. There's a 13 and 14 one. Um, and we will you know, try to do these uh, on a, you know, a, a cycle of every couple of years to grab the best of the available technology uh, to meet the requirements of the force that's deploying. And so smartphones could be uh, the answer to the net for your requirement. Smartphones could be the answer to the rifleman's radio requirement. If we look at this in an incremental approach, which is what the PEOs are doing, and uh, I had a great presentation yesterday 
from a couple of the uh, colonels that are are trying to bring this whole thing together that shows how uh, every two years in an incremental approach, we can get the best of commercial off-the-shelf capability, and it may be able to provide some of our uh, longer-term radio requirements and still keep us uh, maybe one uh, terrain feature behind uh, where industry is going today. Over. Okay. Thank you. Question. Question. Now we will ask Mr. Jeffrey Groh of the Army's War College if you have any questions for General Dempsey. Sir, thank you uh, this morning for taking time to do this. Um, obviously, one uh, critical component that soldiers are using uh, smartphones for, their personal ones, is the delivery of content, social media, blogs, et cetera. And in the Army, we have this uh, item called Army Knowledge Online, which has a great wealth of information. Can you speak to any projects that are currently looking to, uh, to design applications to some of the resources behind Army Knowledge Online and, and whether those capabilities are going to be delivered. And the second part of the question would be um, from the personal soldier perspective who's already coming to you know, AIT with a smartphone himself, what can he see as uh, being able to use his smartphone for when he arrives there instead of having to have a military-provided one? The, uh, as I said earlier, the, uh, the single app store is uh, intended to be the one that's being generated by Army G6 CIO, currently resident in AKO. Uh, I'm sure there are a, a number of improvements going on behind AKO that, uh, frankly, I'm, I'm not knowledgeable uh, enough to describe, but I know there's a number of them that's tying us to, uh, of course, the Defense Online uh, store as well. So that will give us um, uh, and the user access to uh, the variety of resources that uh, will also be available to AKO. I'm not sure I understood your second question. The second, second part of the question was soldiers are now arriving at AIT with smartphones, only on smartphones. Um, it appears that a lot of the connecting soldiers to digital applications deals with the Army providing a smartphone to the soldier. Um, have you looked at potentially as a solution uh, enabling or allowing that soldier's personal smartphone to be the platform of choice instead of a military-provided one and what the issues are that you have to work through as far as encryption and or uh, reformatting, et cetera, for those devices? Yeah. Um, pretty good article uh, written in Army Times uh, prior to Christmas that kind of laid out what, what I was talking about on this as well. So long-term vision here, um, uh, long-term meaning, you know, next couple of years. Uh, perhaps, it, should the pilots be successful and we make recommendations that this is a cost-benefit um, way to go, um, there might be an intelligent way to establish the architecture and the backbone of the network. And uh, the military might make available either funds or the phone uh, for an individual soldier or whichever group of soldiers uh, we end up saying this is most cost benefit to issue to. And, and then the soldier maintains that phone for the rest of his life. And if we set up the architecture right, and it's hardware agnostic uh, in particular, 
then a soldier could purchase whichever one of perhaps two, three, four, uh, or more kinds of uh, hardware. Over time, there might be uh, different manufacturers, uh, you know, as uh, again, as Moore's Law continues. Um, and a smart way to do this might be to uh, just provide the soldier enough maintenance funds. Uh, that is one course of action, uh, that he maintains the phone himself with the kind of phone himself or herself uh, prefers to have. And that phone could perform uh, both uh, personal uh, kinds of uh, activity and and the kinds that the Army needs. There's, uh, again, uh, we've already talked to some of the major uh, uh, hardware and software manufacturers about just partitioning the phone. Um, and this half of the phone goes to personal use and keeps track of, can be kept track of uh, against the guy's uh, personal account. And this side uh, is kept track of by um, the Army uh, uh, official account. Those are all very doable things uh, within the software world, and that's what we're looking at. Thank you for your question, sir. I believe we have a representative on the line from the University of Missouri. Do you have a question for General Vane? Yes, good morning, sir. Uh, this is Dr. Annette Sobel. I head our national security enterprise here at the College of Engineering and so uh, appreciative of your visionary leadership in this area. We've been working for the past several years with uh, Fort Leonard Wood, the MP school down there and the Leonard Wood Institute. And uh, this is my question to you, sir. We've, we've spent a lot of uh, resources and time with the schoolhouse there to develop not only the apps for op boards, but also the security for data at rest and in transit um, behind uh, these systems, specifically in a cloud environment and also using uh, the NSA uh, compliance system. So we, we've gone beyond, I believe, the, uh, the prototype to really something that has already uh, been approved by the uh, intelligence community. Our question to you is, since uh, many hundreds of thousands of dollars have been put into our pilot, how can we make most effective use of this technology investment uh, perhaps in the environment that uh, there's a test bed established across perhaps the Army War College, CGSC, so that not only the operators in the field can use this, but our senior leaders who are perhaps functioning in the, in the schoolhouse plus in national level exercises may uh, evaluate and make use of these systems, thus to move them forward at a more rapid rate. Well, again, what we're doing is we're got eight pilots. We're going to assess the cost benefit uh, of those eight pilots. And, you know, one um, course of action in, in, in all of this is that you just keep doing more pilots, right? I mean, that's kind of what you're suggesting. Um, um, there are already um, activities ongoing inside of uh, the Command and General Staff College, for sure. I'm not sure about uh, the War College. Uh, even though I was up there last week, I didn't ask. Uh, there's a War College guy on the line here. Maybe he can answer your question there. But there are uh, already uh, things being looked at in terms of e-reader kind of capabilities in, in CGSC as well. Um, once we're able to establish cost-benefit, the, the ability to move this rapidly is is almost boundless. I mean, just think of your Blackberries right now and how many Blackberries are in the Army, how rapidly they're purchased and used and, and reconfigured and there's no requirements document for it. I mean, you know, so all these kind of bureaucratic questions that have that have been asked, um, there has been a path 
blazoned before in, in, a, in a way to use these things and get them to the field very rapidly. So I would expect uh, uh, we will be able to uh, move this very quickly once we're able to convince ourselves of where it applies. It may not apply everywhere. It may be, be best for uh, routine tasks up to middle-level complex tasks in the training environment. It may not be the best uh, deliver, delivery of content for higher order complex tasks, you know, higher order thinking tasks. You may really need to have an instructional venue and a, and a, a guide in there and, and have uh, discussions uh, where people have uh, read baseline uh, documents and then really have to get into uh, a more collaborative environment of discussion um, in a classroom. You know, there just may be. And so the uh, application everywhere, uh, I don't think, is a preconceived uh, thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, just specifically, sir, what would you recommend? Because my biggest concern here is that, um, and no offense to your program, but uh, the technology developers and the pilot efforts aren't really being looked at uh, from a holistic perspective. At least we're not aware of it, so that we haven't been able to share our true technology advances with the, with the other uh, pilot uh, programs. I don't know what your particular issue is there. Um, the question is, how do we better communicate with the other the other efforts so that our well, technology we advances can be shared? Before we can put them on the net. Mm -hmm. And so that's the biggest challenge is solving information assurance, data rest, data transfer trans, uh, in transit so that the applications and the, the connectivity to other networks uh, can leverage the full power of the, the network and the internet. And like I said, we're, we're working through that. There are a number of uh, solutions already out there that look pretty promising. As you've uh, indicated, we've got workarounds that we've put in place out at the engineer school and at mm -hmm. Leonardwood. And some of those uh, will have applications beyond just local uh, do them uh, uh, authorized procedures and get us to um, you know larger levels once we're convinced of the uh, cost-benefit of all this. Thank, Thank you. you for your question, ma'am. Uh, Mr. Bill Murray, do you have any questions for General Vane? No, ma'am. Okay. Uh, next, Beth Harrison, do you have any questions for General Vane? Uh, yes, I do. Good morning. Um, I'm curious about how the acquisition community is working in parallel with the Army to support rapid uh, you know, development and deployment for mobile apps. Um, I've heard several ideas bantered about um, about funding prototype competitions where uh, companies would compete to build a, a prototype within 30 days and then um, government leaders would make a decision as to which app they might want to continue to fund. Um, and then other um, conversations I've heard around pay-per-use. I'm curious if you can tell me how the acquisition community is supporting you. Um, well, we've had terrific support out of the PEO EIS in particular. Uh, over the course of the last year, and as I mentioned, great collaboration. When we started this project, it was a collaboration be between myself and then General Sorensen, the CIO G6. So we've had great collaboration, great support, uh, to a certain degree, uh, waiting for proof of principle before uh, completely jumping on, you know, what's the right acquisition strategy, and how do we not make it so bureaucratic that um, the development of applications 
uh, can't leverage uh, all the many users that would be out there on these networks that are going to have good ideas. Uh, so we're still working through uh, what that strategy could be, might be, will be, and I, I, again, I think we're going to have to ensure we're convinced of the cost-benefit uh, before we get the full power of acquisition uh, behind it across the board. Thank you. Thank you for your question, Beth. Um, at this time, I'd like to ask anyone who may have joined us on the call late, if you have any questions for General Vane, if you could state your name and affiliation. Hi, my name is Fred Donovan. I'm with Defense Industry Daily. How are you, sir? Morning, Fred. I apologize for being late, um, and you might have already covered this, but I was wondering if you could update me on the MACE program, how that's coming. I'm not familiar with that term. The multi-access communications extender? I'm not familiar with was... oh, Okay. All right, thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do we have anyone else who joined us on the call late? Okay. If not, I'd like to uh, ask General Vane if you have any closing remarks. Well, the only, you know, there's there's lots of reasons why not to do things, uh, and there's lots of reasons why to do things. And I think this is one of those where, uh, if you believe that uh, all the pundits and social networking and the advances in uh, telecommunications and the ability to combine um, anything that's operating in the electromagnetic spectrum into a single device, as, as essentially as the direction we're headed here, whether it's electronic warfare, biometrics, identification, uh, voice communications, digital, full motion video. I mean, this is the direction to head in the future. And wouldn't we want to give our soldiers the very best capability that we can from commercial technology, given that it can be appropriately secured and secured only where it needs to be so that we have the advantage uh, for small units uh, in the future. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you, General Vane, for your closing remarks. As a quick note, audio and a transcript of today's roundtable will be available online at the Department of Defense blog, um, and you can visit that blog site at www.dodlive.mil. Um, click on the Bloggers Roundtable tab and find that information. Again, thank you, General Vane, for your time, and thank you for everyone who called in today. This concludes today's Bloggers Roundtable. Feel free to disconnect at this time.